Thank you, Brother John D., for that song. I am determined. And my heart just welled with that. I am determined. Forever thine to be. And each of you, dear young people, I want you to be determined. That song sang through various issues and various things of life and and the refrain went, I am determined. Amen? Amen? Determined. Lord, not by our own strength, but You will give the grace. <clears throat> well, good evening to each one. Good evening. Good evening. You always do excellent on the second time. <clears throat> I, we talked last night about seeing the eternal one. And I love the little pictures God gives. And there's many pictures. That's not the only one. You go digging. There's more pictures of the eternal one in the scripture and gives us numerous pictures. But I love to just ponder the eternal one. But this evening, we're going to stick with the subject just a little bit. <clears throat> And I'm going to title this evening, An Eternal Perspective. There are two ways to look at things. You can look at happenings in your life from an eternal perspective, and you can look at happenings in your life from, an etern- from a temporal perspective. You can look at the day in front of you with a temporal perspective, or you can look at the day in front of you with an eternal perspective. You can look at your job, the things you do, or the person you're relating to from an eternal perspective, or you can look at it from a temporal perspective. And I just want us to ponder these two perspectives. We have many places in Scripture, so we'll see how many of them we get to. But give us a picture of people who had two different perspectives. And we want to have an eternal perspective. Let's begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm sorry, I know some of you have heard me share this verse before. It is a favorite of mine. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 16. We'll just read a few verses here and ponder this concept As we begin, for which cause we faint not, and I'm just going to jump in here, for all things, verse 15 I guess does say, are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Paul was talking before this, he was talking about dying that others might live. For which cause we faint not. Apostle Paul says, I know it takes some dying on our part that you might live, but we're not going to faint. I am determined, I think Paul was saying. For this cause, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, and it dies, and it has problems, and with the Apostle Paul, we all know it has shipwrecks, and it gets its, his back torn to shreds, and stones piled on top of him, and he goes through all 
sorts of miserable conditions in the outward man. Though my outward man perishes, yet my inward man is renewed day by day. Paul has a different concept than most people. Most people, if they would look at the Apostle Paul's life from a temporal perspective, would say, that poor man. He had to go through so much misery, he must be a little bit off. Really? If you would look at it from a temporal perspective, he must be a little bit off. But Paul says, it's okay. I don't look from a temporal perspective. He goes on and he says, for our light affliction. These little problems that have happened to me, they're just light affliction. The shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, when people think he's dead, light affliction. Which is but for a moment, and it's done. Past. Paul, are you okay up here? If you're looking from a temporal perspective, that might be our question. Are you okay? That is not normal. Are you a glutton for pain, Paul? If you're looking from a temporal perspective. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, Paul says, worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I know, Paul might say, you think my life looks crazy. You might think my life looks miserable. You might think I go through tremendous agony and difficulty. But it's because if you think that, you don't understand. You're looking at my life from the wrong perspective. It's working for me an eternal weight of glory. While we look not, and here's the key, this is why he might look a little off from a temporal perspective. But he's giving us a snapshot to understand why. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which, for the things which are seen, they're temporal, but for a moment. They're temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. On and on and on and on. That, Paul said, is why someone can look at my life and think I'm a little bit off. Because they're looking from a temporal, seen perspective. And he said, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. He knew the life he lived was horrible if he's looking For temporal enjoyment. But he said, I'm not looking from the perspective of the temporal. I'm looking from the perspective of the eternal. Just look at this, 17 and 18. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And I'm just going to do this. Some of you, again, may have seen this. Can you all see if it's down here? Kind of, barely. This is the way I pictured. I've drawn this in the margin of my Bible. 
just have a little margin that helps me visualize what Paul's trying to say here. What we have is a scales. He's talking about a weight. And so we have a scales here. And on the one side of these scales, and these are scales that aren't used a whole lot today in around us, but very common scales when you go to another country and you want to buy one pound of green. You put one pound over here and then you fill this up until it balances out and then you know you have a pound or a kilogram. Paul says, on the one side, you have the seen. On the other side, you have the unseen. This side that is seen, that he says, I'm just writing temporal here. And the side that is unseen is eternal. And Paul says, I put in this seen side, I put all of my light afflictions. On this side over here, on the seen, the temporal side, are my, what he calls, light afflictions. On the unseen and the eternal, we have eternal glory. And that's not just all necessarily in eternity. But just read through this with me and ponder this little illustration here. Verse 17. For our light affliction, Paul says, which is but for a moment... It is passing very quickly. This light affliction, it worketh for us. This works and creates an exceeding eternal, on the eternal side, weight. So this turns into this if it's right. If it, if, while we look not at the things which are seen, we don't value the things which are seen. We are valuing the things which are unseen. And thus, the eternal glory that comes from my life, when I look at it from an unseen perspective, is heavy. And this side is light. The temporal is light. He says, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How do you look at your life? When you rate happenings in your life, and you rate situations in your life, how do you rate them? Which side's heavy, and which side is light? Which is important? Which perspective am I looking at my life, and which perspective are you looking at your life? It, to me, is a revolutionary concept. Which perspective is the eternal one that we looked at last night looking at things? Which way is he looking at it? How does he see the happenings, the situations, the relationships, the choices I make in my life? How does he, sitting upon his throne, in all of his splendor, and he sees what I'm doing, how does he see it? That is the way we should see it. Because that is reality. The tendency of us humans is to be so motivated and directed and influenced by what we bump up against. What is seen. What we trip against. What we deal with in life. Our relationships. 
all of these things, and the tendency is to see them from the seen side rather than the unseen. But if we can flip this around, it will totally change your perspective on what you do next Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday. And it gives you a purpose and it puts that in your heart like we sang, My God, I am determined. Because these light afflictions, all of a sudden they're not important anymore. They become so light. If I look at... Let's go on. We'll come back to that. I want us just to look at a couple snapshots that help us to view the eternal seeing from an eternal perspective. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I don't know if you have pondered this story in this way, but this came alive to me a few years ago. In a new way that blessed me deeply. We all know this story, but I want us just to read through it and ponder two different perspectives on this story. We will see many times people who had two different perspectives. The one was an eternal perspective and the other was a very seen perspective. 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for seeing Saul? I'm sorry. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel, it's time to stop mourning for Saul. I'm done with him. When he was little in his own eyes, I used him. Right? Now that he thinks he's something in the scene, in his own eyes, with his kingdom all around him, now that Saul has valued the scene more than the unseen, I'm done with him. Samuel, get your horn. Go and anoint someone in a Bethlehemite. Go to Jesse with your horn of oil. Samuel says, how can I go, Lord? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. Saul still knew that Samuel knew the right perspective. Even though he wouldn't have liked what he said, he still knew. If Samuel says something, there's going to be value in it. So just because we understand the value of an eternal perspective, that doesn't mean we make choices accordingly. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did. That which the Lord had spake came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled. Um, God was with that man. Maybe a side note. But God was with Samuel, and when he walked into a town, the people knew uh, something's going on here. When Samuel walks in, God is walking in. Anyway, and the elders of the town trembled, and and they asked him, said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. 
And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. We're going to have a sacrifice. Come. And Jesse, you come. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab stood up, and Samuel looked at him and said, Surely this is it. This man, there's potential here. Samuel, the man who knew the heart of God in a large way. Samuel, a man who when God wanted something done, he called for Samuel and he directed him. And yet Samuel looked at this man, Eliab, and said, surely this is the one. But the Lord said unto Samuel, and note this, this is one of the key verses. There's a few of them here. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Samuel, don't look on his countenance or on the height of his stature. There's a couple of tall ones in here. Don't look at that because I have refused him. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, right? The Lord seeth not as man seeth. God is not hindered by this earthly veil that's all around us and we're stuck with. Samuel, don't look on the outward. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the Lord looketh, I'm sorry, for man looketh on the Outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Samuel, Eliab looks nice. He looks like he'd make a good king. You've seen Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. He's a good king. Eliab, he looks like he'd make a good king too. But Samuel, I'm not looking at him the way you are looking at him. I look at him differently. I, God is saying, have a different perspective. I have an eternal perspective. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen him. Mm -mm, Not him either. Nope. He doesn't pass either. Then Jesse made shame at a pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Jesse knew he was supposed to come to the feast. He knew he was supposed to come, be a part of this feast, this sacrifice, and he brought his sons with him. But they all passed. And Samuel said, Jesse, I'm sorry. Anyone else? And Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. Right? The youngest. I didn't bother bringing him. Okay, that's not in here. But that's kind of the feeling you get. The youngest. There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he's taking care of sheep. It's kind of a marvel to me. This is outside of the scope of what I should be talking about tonight. But um, David had already been in the king's court. He'd been with the king. He was sent back. When they went off to battle, he went back home. And it doesn't seem he had a whole lot of favor to where he was worthwhile again just because he'd been with the king. He seems that he was sent back out to the sheep. And we'll, we'll get to that later on. <clears throat> but I think there's a key there too. And Samuel said unto Jesse... All right, Jesse, you have one more, and he's out with the sheep. Send and fetch him. 
We will not sit down till he come hither. Samuel said, oh, okay. He sent someone after him. Go get David. Send David back. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. God, Eliab looked pretty nice. So did Shema. What's wrong? We have to go find a sheep keeper? And you say, that's the one? God says, yes. Because I look at things differently than the outside. I look at things from an eternal, and I'm calling it eternal, perspective. An unseen perspective. Not just a seen perspective. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And you know what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. What do you think David... I ponder that. What did David know? How much did he know? What was really happening to him? As he was called, he's out watching sheep. Did he know that there was a sacrifice going on? Did he know that there was a feast happening and he was told to watch the sheep? No, David, you take care of the sheep. You're the youngest. We're going to go. You've had your chance in the king's court. I don't know what all the comments were, but you go there. How much did David know when someone came running? David! Run! I'll take care of the sheep. Your father's calling you. Go to that feast. What what was happening inside of him? What was he thinking? What was he wondering? Go to the feast, David. I think there was something that David knew out there in that sheepfold as he communed with his father. I think he knew... Somehow he knew his father. I don't know if he understood the kingly things that were happening. I don't know if he understood what Samuel was really doing. I don't know if he knew when that oil came upon him what his future life would be. I'm not even sure if he would have wanted to. You know the agony that David went through? Running, running, running from Saul. And then all the difficulties. Sure, we can pull out the glories and think it was wonderful, but... But anyway, I don't know how much David knew as as the oil ran over him. I don't know how much he knew as the Spirit of God settled on him, I believe, in a fresh way from that day forward. But the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, departed from Saul. God, why did you pass up Eliab? What's wrong with Eliab? Why did you pass up Shema? What's wrong with Shema? God doesn't say here necessarily. We might get a peek later on. But God doesn't say necessarily. But He did say this. Samuel, I don't look from the same perspective that other human beings look from. I see from a different perspective. We're going to jump to chapter 17. You know, I'm just realizing, I'm sorry, I did make a mistake there, didn't I? It looks like this is David here is when David went, uh, because the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and this is when David went in to be with Saul. 
at the end of 16. And now Saul goes out to war and David goes back to the sheep. So anyway, I hope I didn't confuse you there. I confused myself a little bit. <clears throat> we find David, the end of, verse 20, of chapter 16, verse 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp, played with his hands, so Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. God used David. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And so as he ministered, there was something of God there, and the evil spirit departed. Now we're just going to jump into 17. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered at Shaka, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shaka and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, <clears throat> excuse me, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gas, whose height was six cubits and a span. And so here's Saul gathered with all of his army over here on one side of a mountain. There's a valley between him. And over here on the other side, we have the Philistines. And with this valley between, they set the battle in array. Whatever all those words mean, but they were ready to fight. And so all of the Israelites were standing here. They looked across the valley at at the Philistines all gathered over there. And the Philistines were on this side and across the valley. All the Israelites were standing there. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines. Just picture with me all the Israelites standing on this mountain. And all of a sudden, out of this mass of people, of human beings with waving spears and swords, walks a giant behemoth of a man. And he steps out, and somehow he lifted up his voice. It gives a little picture of him, Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Was he nine feet? Somewhere in there? This massive, tall fella. I don't know where nine feet is. He'd be up in here somewhere, standing down there, right? That's a big fella. A nine foot at least man. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And I don't know, it's so hard. You look in one source to try to figure it out how heavy that was in another source. And so I'm going to throw numbers to you that I scrambled together. Whether they're accurate, you're going to find people who don't quite agree. But there's a chance it weighed approximately 150 pounds. The weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, may have been around 150 pounds. This massive man stood there with all of this steel hanging off of him, approximately 150 pounds of it. And he could walk around and apparently he was agile with it. You think you're strong, huh? Try that once. 150 pounds of it. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. And that could have been about 18 pounds. You've swung a 10-pound sledgehammer, right? That's work. A 10-pound sledgehammer takes a lot of work to bring it down on something. Much less take a 10-pound sledgehammer and try to use it in an agile way to deal with someone. Then grab two of them to try to come up to about 18 pounds and use that as a spear. That's heavy. 
and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and he cried out across this valley, this massive man standing way up, just huge. Walking around with tremendous weight all over him. Spear that was heavier than our sledgehammers. It wouldn't hesitate at all to go right through us. He cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And we're stand, Israel is standing over here on this side. And they listen to that. And they see that man. And do you know what perspective they looked at that man as? Which way did they look at him? Which way? Seen. When God looked down from His glorious throne and all of the splendor that was there and the beauty that was shining out from Him, And he looked down here to this little speck of earth. And he saw these armies, this side and this side. What do you think it looked like to him? Do you think it looked different than it did to the Israelites? I think it looked totally different to him. But the Israelites saw his 18-pound spear. They saw his at least nine foot height. They saw his coat of mail that could have been up to 150 pounds. And they said, me? Fight him? Mm -mm. No way. I have boys at my house. One of them is probably about this high. Nine years old. And... I think this past winter I hauled him outside one time and dumped him in a snowdrift. It was cold. I walked out on the deck. I don't remember what he had done or what I had done or something and threw him into a snowdrift. He's about, what, this high? Don't you think Goliath could have done that too? We'll just grab you, Timothy. Here, plop, put you in a snowdrift. That's the kind of man that he was. Maybe more so than that than I am to my son. And the Israelites said, no way. Where were we? Verse 9. Verse 10. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul, God has left you. He said, Saul, I'm done. So when you look across this valley and you see these Philistines here, you're looking through the eyes of a man. You're looking through the eyes of the scene. And Saul, you can't do it. You can't do it. Greatly afraid. And so these Israelites fled. No way. Now, the scene changes. And I like that. Now, the little fella out with the sheep. God, why? Why are you changing this story and bringing in a little fella out with the sheep? Would he not say, because I have a different perspective than you? 
I see things differently than this whole Israeli army. I see it different. Now, David. There's a lot of those little things in the scripture. But Daniel. Just preached on that one a little while ago. But Daniel. I circled that in my Bible. Here we have another one. Now, David. You have a scene, and that's what Daniel was in. You have a scene that looks difficult, that looks horrible, that is, is devastating in one sense. And then God enters a verse and he says, but Daniel, or now David. He saw something different than you and I see. Not just a sheep watcher. He saw he must have seen something else. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite, Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went out and followed Saul to battle. Saul had, uh, sorry, Jesse had three sons that were on this hillside also over here with Saul. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David, there it is. You find those. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Okay, we have two happenings. And the Bible's bringing the scene of two different scenes. The one scene is right here on either side of the valley. The other scene is way back in Bethlehem. And there's a boy who just left the palace. And he goes back home. And he doesn't taunt it doesn't we don't find it anyway and his I was just at the palace what do you mean go out and watch sheep no I'll go out and watch sheep he was the youngest and he returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem Jesse said unto his son, said unto David, verse 17, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. They were right here. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And David rose early. Let's not mess around. I just got another assignment. And he went and faithfully did his next assignment. Do you know, God watches our little assignments. And he sees your little assignments. Lord, just watch sheep? Yeah, just watch sheep. But watch sheep. Go and play my harp over here? Yeah, well that seems like a raise for sure. That's a promotion. I'll go and I'll play my harp. All done with that. Go back and watch sheep. Oh, back there? Yeah. Back there. God's watching how you respond to the assignments you're given, young people. Grab every little one faithfully. Anyway, next assignment. Haul some some things out to my sons, your brothers. David's father says, haul them out. All right, father, will do. Early in the morning. Take your assignments, no matter the size, with earnestness. David arose early, left the sheep, 
went as Jesse had commanded and came to the trench. Verse 20 here. As the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, ran into the army, came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them right in the middle of, the, of, of all of his brethren there, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And spake according to the same words, and David heard them. He heard this giant stand there in his nine-foot stature with his massive spear and stand and say, send me a man, anyone, come on, I defy the armies of the living God. And David heard that. What do you think David saw? What did he see? This little shepherd boy that had come from the sheepfold, now he's standing in the midst of a whole bunch of armed men with spears and swords and helmets. And here they stand and they're ready to fight. And he's a shepherd boy standing there like this. Nothing on, nothing to fight with. And he hears rolling across the valley from a loud voice standing over there, this man who towered nigh twice the height of some people. And he heard these words. And as he talked with them, behold, that the champion, Philistine of, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them, verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. It shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Saul looked at that man, and he saw his height, his stature, his spear, his shield, his all that he had. And he said, Mm-mm, not me. Anybody else want to? I'll make your house free in Israel, no taxes. I'll give you my daughter as a, as a wife, and I'll, I missed one, enrich him with great riches. It's all at your fingertips. All the temporal that could possibly be seen is all that Saul could see, and that's all he knew how to promise, because that's all he could see. But you know what? That's what he promised. He promised right over here in the scene. But because these men who looked at that, every one of those men probably would have been delighted with what Saul was offering. But they looked at that man across the valley and they said, "Mm -mm, not me. Why? What perspective did they have? A temporal one. But this little shepherd boy, he's watching all of this. And David spake to the men, verse 26, that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And taketh away the reproach of Israel? I almost think this might have been a bit of a scoff. What's going to be done to him? The daughter of the king, riches, come on. It almost looks a little bit scoffing. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this fellow? That he should defy the armies of the living God. David, what do you see? You stand over here with all these men with their swords and their spears. You're looking across this valley and you see this huge man standing over there. Is that what you see, David? Mm -mm. I don't think that's what he saw. He didn't look at the size of the giant. He was looking at the size of his God. Right? 
And so as he saw that man standing there, somehow David was able to sit up there almost in those heavenly places beside the eternal one. And he looked down and he said, what is going on anyway? This doesn't make sense. This little fella over there, this nine foot little fella with his 18 pounds spear, that little fella defying God. Mm -mm, That doesn't work. He saw from a different perspective. And you know what? It changed his life. It made him head and shoulders above all the men he was standing with. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, and here's a little snapshot on the inside of Eliab. The eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left these sheep in the wilderness? Those few sheep. There's a few sheep wandering out in the wilderness, David. And who did you leave those with? You get the feeling he had the idea you should have stayed with the sheep. What good are you anyway, David? His anger was kindled. I know thy pride, he says of David, and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David, you just want to make yourself look big. Do you know what was really going on? Eliab wanted to look big. You see that? Eliab didn't like what was happening. Maybe he still remembered when Samuel said, Nope, not Eliab. Nope, not Abinadab, Shema, whoever they all were. Nope. Maybe that was still down in there. And he watched David kneel and the oil run. I don't know what all was in Eliab's heart. But Eliab was looking at the scene. And he had problems. And he got all caught up with relationship problems. He had anger problems. He had, and you know, I'm sure we could list them. But do you know why? He had the wrong perspective. He wasn't looking at things the way God was looking at them. He was looking from the scene. Which way do you and I look at the giants in our life? Which way do we look at them? Do we fit better with the David or with the Eliab? Do you see the two perspectives? That's the two perspectives I want us to ponder. As we look at the giants in our life, we each have giants. And some of them have 18-pound spears. And they're big. Right? Or maybe you don't have them like I do. But I have them. Some of the spears I have to deal with are 20 pounds, not just 18. They're big. I know. You have giants to deal with. How are you going to look at them? You're going to look at them like Eliab? It won't work. You won't overcome them if you look at the scene. But if we somehow can get the concept that David had and look at them from an unseen perspective... And so Eliab is saying, I know what you've done. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake into the same manner. And the people answered him again. We're at the end of verse 30 here. After the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Saul, listen. I was with you a few weeks ago. Maybe it was months. I'm not sure. And I played the harp there. Saul... Don't let man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David, you what? You? 
a little fella that's supposed to be out with the sheep are willing to go and face this massive, over nine foot man with his 18 pound spear. Saul, don't let your heart fail, Saul. Don't let your heart fail. I'll go and fight him. Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Saul, let me help you see behind the scenes just a little bit, Saul. Saul, God has allowed me to see beyond this earthly veil just a little bit, Saul. Listen to this. I've seen the eternal, Saul. Where are we here? Verse 34, David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Saul, a lion and a bear came. I went after him. And I smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Wham! Anybody want to go fight a lion or a bear like that? Saul, I did that. That happened. Maybe I should say that happened. His emphasis was not I, I don't think. But he said, Saul, that happened. Can you see, Saul? Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Saul, it's not about me, Saul. It's not about me. It's not about my size. It's not about my ability with a sword. Saul... This man is defying God. It's between God and him. Don't you see, Saul? Can't you see it? I think if Saul would have answered honestly, he would have said, "Mm -mm, I don't see. I don't get it. I can't see the way you're seeing, David. I'm stuck on the scene. The Spirit of the Lord has left me, and I can't see the unseen. David said, moreover, the Lord has delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He'll do it, Saul. It's up to him. It's not up to me. And Saul said unto David, I think he knew something. Maybe he saw a little behind the scene, did he? Or was he just desperate? I'm not sure. The Lord, uh, go and the Lord be with thee. But he said, David, put on some of my armor first. Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. He also armed him with a coat of mail. David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. You think I'm supposed to walk out there with all this stuff on? It's between my God and this man, not this armor. And he took his staff in his hand, And he chose five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script, in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine, and the Philistine came and drew near unto him. Now, which perspective did this Philistine have? We all know that, right? Was he looking at the seen, or was he looking at the unseen? And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said... Unto David, am I a dog? That thou comest to me with staves. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And Philistine said to David, come to me, and I'll give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. 
Then said David to the Philistine, Just picture it with me, all the Philistines standing on this side. And they're watching, mind you. I said Philistines, didn't I? All the Israelites standing on this side. All the Philistines over here on this side. And down comes this little boy, young man, out of the camp. No armor, no spear, no man going before with a shield. And he's coming with his staff. A stick! And out of this side comes Goliath, this huge man walking towards him. And he looks across and he sees this boy and he says, you're making fun of me. Come on. You're making fun of me. Then David said to the Philistine, listen, Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. But do you know what, Goliath? I see far beyond what you see. I see something, Goliath, that you have no idea what you're up against. You're missing it, Goliath. I know your your sword is a lot heavier than my staff. I know it's made out of steel and my staff is a piece of wood. But you're not fighting this piece of wood with that piece of steel. You are fighting the living God of the universe who sits upon His throne. I I know you come to me with a spear and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and will give the... And we'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that I, David, have a more powerful spear than you have, Goliath. Right? That all the earth may know what? It's about him that sitteth upon the throne. You have not defied me. You've defied him. That all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly know. All these Philistines on this side. All these Israelites on this side. They'll know that the Lord saveth not with a sword and with a spear. I don't have a sword and I don't have a spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into my hand. Saul, I'm looking from a different perspective than you are. Young people, which perspective do you have? Which perspective do I have? As we go into your life next week, and you hit the normals of life that you had last week, I know we're in a greenhouse, and I love being in this greenhouse with you. But you're going to get out of the greenhouse one of these days, and you're going to face Philistines again. You're going to find a battle in array against you to take your life. Which way are you going to look at life? How are you going to look at it? Eliab or David? And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand into his bag, took thence a stone, and he slang it. And I, I, I... Don't you just think God took that stone and just whoosh, stuck it right where he wanted to? Because it was between God... And this Philistine, and it was God, not David, that was fighting. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. <clears throat> but there was no sword in the hand of David. And it goes on and talks about that. 
Do you see the two perspectives? One of them had this perspective. They dealt with the seen and all that the seen had. The other perspective dealt with the unseen and all that the unseen had. Which perspective do you want to face life next week? And I know, after this exciting story of David and Goliath, you all would say, oh, we want to see it from an eternal perspective. I know that, and I'm glad. And I do too. But when the test really comes, and that giant looks really, really scary, and he doesn't, you don't feel like you're standing beside the one who sits upon his throne, you feel kind of alone. And the giant's in front of you. I don't know what giants to mention. You're going to have to stick them in, but I think you've heard of a few. I didn't get to be here when my father shared, and I'm very sorry about that. And my mother with you, young ladies. But that's a giant for young people. That's a giant in front of you. How have you been treating that giant? That's probably how you will do it next week, too. If you have been relating to that giant of purity, and it has been a struggle, and you've been fighting, and yet you're not sure, if you've been seeing it from the unseen perspective, it draws. There's a draw there that pulls. And if you stay in Eliab's position, you won't see it right, and you won't conquer it. But if you can remember, and if you can say, God, I want to see it the way you see it. I want to view this thing of holiness and purity in my life, in in my moral life. I want to see it the way you see it. I want to see the awfulness. I want to see the sin. I want to see your power available to the pure, to the holy, to the lowly, to the willing. And you look at it from an unseen perspective. God says, I'll be there. I'll anoint your life with enough grace to conquer Goliath. He will. He will. Let's go to another little snapshot. Go to 2 Kings. You know this one also. We'll just look at a couple more here briefly. Two perspectives, an eternal perspective and a temporal perspective. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. Then the king of Assyria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a camp... And such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the, to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Somehow there was, two, there was a battle happening. And we have the, just slipped my mind, Syria. We have the Syrians warring with Israel. And the Syrians, they plotted their way of war. And the Israelites, they were trying to work with this way of war. And a message comes. King, listen. There's a man of God who said, don't go here. Because if you go here, that's where Syria is going to come. If you go over here, they're going to conquer you. That king said, okay. The man of God said that. 
let's do it a different way than I thought now. And he saved himself because he listened to the man of God. And he got out of his way. It happened again. Assyria set the battle the way they wanted it. And they were planning and plotting. And Israel's over here. And a message comes. King, listen. Over here, if you go that way, this is what's going to happen. Assyria's going to do this. And they'll take you. And again, I don't know how much info came. Oh, let's change. And let's do this. Saved again. Not once, nor twice. More than twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. The Syrian king says, what is going on? I am trying to conquer these Israelites. I plot out a good plan. I know how to do this. I should have gotten them not once nor twice, but more than that. What's going on? Excuse me. He called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of you is for the king of Israel? Somebody in my camp over here is leaking information to the king of Israel. He he knows too much. Something's going on. We've got a traitor amongst us. Who's doing it? One of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words which thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Nobody hears them, king. And you're in your bedchamber all by yourself. And Elisha goes and tells the king what you said in there all by yourself. Hallelujah. That's a hopeless case for the Syrian king. There's no way. If they have Elisha on their side, I'm done. He said, go and spy where he is. We've got to find this man. Go and spy where he is. That I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And so here's Elisha. He's in the city of Dothan. And at night, a whole bunch of men come and surround the city. And the feeling I get is apparently Dothan wasn't a huge, powerful, fortified city. It must have been small. It must not have been real strong. And they surrounded it. Verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early. So now the servant of Elisha, servant of the man of God was risen early, gone forth. Behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? How was this servant looking at the scene around him? How was he looking? Scene. Was he looking from an eternal perspective? He could have said, and I know, I fall prey just like he does, but he could have said, God, you've been using Elisha to totally save all of Israel from the Syrian king, the Syrian army. And now the Syrians coming at us, God can save in this setting too. But he didn't. He looked at the scene and he said, we're in trouble. Alas, master, what shall we do? And he was looking at the scene. And his master answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Young people, can we see that? Can you see it? Can you see that they that be with you are more than they that be with them? 
and stand by faith. It's okay. All the swords and the spears and the horses and the chariots, they're all surrounding me. It's okay. Because there's more that be with Him. And I am with Him who sitteth upon His throne. And so all of these chariots and all of these enemies of mine gathered around me. It's okay. The servant couldn't see that. But I just love the picture. God decided. And I don't know how God decides to do this and when He doesn't. But Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, would you open his eyes that he may see. Do you see today? Do you see? Or do you just see? Right? You just see. What's in front of you and what is tangible, that's what's important. Or do you see? My prayer is, God, would you open our eyes Your eyes sitting here. My eyes as I stand here. God, would you open our eyes that we could see. And God decided that time, sure, I'll do that. Here, young man, servant of Elisha, let me just do something for you. And he pulled back the curtain. And all of a sudden, the servant looked. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. And we could go on with the story, but we're just going to stop there. They looked. This this servant of Elisha looked. As the veil was pulled away from his eyes. And what do you think happened? All of a sudden, inside of him. Oh, it'll be okay. It's not about me. It's not about Elisha. It's about him. And when we can grasp that concept, whether we're David, we're Eliab, whether we're this servant, we're Elisha, when we can grasp the concept and see where the battle really lies from an eternal perspective, a God perspective, and we can see the way this thing really is, You can see. Just one more little snapshot. Hebrews 11. Another person who saw, and there are lots and lots of them. Just one more here. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Do you know what he chose? He chose suffer. Rather than pleasures, whoops, Of sin. Moses looked at this thing. He said, I know I'm the son of a king. I know I have, uh, of Pharaoh, in a sense, I have everything in front of me. Anything I want, anything of the scene, it's all there for me. And Moses said, I think I'd rather, no, not think, I'd rather suffer reproach 
As you say, rather suffer affliction, thank you, with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Reproach. And here we have treasures. Brother John D. talked about treasures today. The treasures that Egypt has to offer. For he had respect unto the recompense of reward. Moses said, I am going to look beyond the temporal. I'm going to look beyond and I'm going to see the reward that's coming at the end. And I'd rather have the seen than, uh, sorry, I'd rather have the unseen than the seen. For he, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Did you see that? He saw what? He saw that. Him who is invisible. Moses, you're going to leave the pleasures that you have in front of you. All these wonderful treasures and the pleasures of sin. And you're going to turn your back on it. And you're going to take affliction. Reproach, desert life, reputation gone, and lose it all and go live out in a desert and watch some animals. You're going to do that, Moses? Yes, I'm going to do that. I'd rather because I see Him who is invisible. I see Him. I see what really matters in life. And because I see the invisible, I'll take the unseen and deal with what comes as the seen. Young people, if you and I can grasp this principle, just like Moses did, and you face life as you come to face it, and you see the giants, whatever those giants are in your life, I brought up and, and reminded you of one that was shared today. Purity in your moral life, in your thoughts, in your actions. Which way are you looking at life? When temptation comes, if you look at it from the scene, you know what will happen. Right? You know what will happen. You'll be like an Eliab and you'll mess up. Can you take the stance of David, look across at that giant, and look up at the eternal one? God, I'm going to live for the unseen. This pleasure that is taunting me, this pleasure that is drawing at my feelings, no way. Because I'm looking at the scene, uh, the unseen. I'm sorry, I keep saying that wrong, don't I? If you look at that issue in your life from an eternal perspective, doesn't it change things? If you stay looking at it from a temporal one, the seen perspective, the temporal perspective, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. And you'll fail again. If you... Look at the 
What did I say David was given? My mind just went blank. Responsibilities. What's the word I used earlier? The assignments. Thank you. The assignments. If you look at your next assignment next week, there might be some assignments for some of you that you're not going to like. You're going to have to do that. My parents want me to do that. My church wants me to do that. I can't do that. I have to do this. My boss says this. If you look at those assignments from the scene, some of them, for some of you, may not be very nice. They may not. But if you'll stand like David and you'll say, God, I have another assignment. And it's an assignment that's coming from you. As it comes from my authority, it's coming from you. God, I am going to embrace this assignment. What was the song, Brother John, that that refrain? I am determined. I will look at this from an eternal perspective. I will cry out to God, God, help me to fulfill this assignment. Or, it just looks too big. And you look at it from the temporal, and it's just overwhelming. It might mess up my life. It might change my future. It might. It might. But which perspective are you looking at what is in front of you? Your next assignment. As you make decisions about relating to each other. And there are times where you relate to each other. Whether it's young men and young ladies or young men among young men. And we have social connections. How do you relate to them? Do you see that person or the brother in church or a sister in church? Can you see them from an eternal perspective or just a seen perspective? Well, they've got this problem. I know they have this problem. And you know what? They probably do. You don't know it. Most of you don't. But I have lots of them too. I'm up here, just like I shared last night. And somehow the tendency is to think, well, he probably doesn't have any problems. No, I've got problems. I have rough spots. If you had to live with me, you'd have to look beyond some of the scene. Can you do that with your brother? I know he may have some weaknesses. But look beyond the scene to the unseen, God. I want to relate to him that way. Some of you face even church relationships, struggles. And you see some of those wrestles. And you see your fathers and your mothers. And you see some of the wrestle and the stress. If you look at it all from the scene, you might get discouraged. But if you will say, God, you see it. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to pray for my parents. I'm going to pray for my leaders. I'm going to pray for brothers and sisters. I know they have weaknesses, but God, in the midst of their weaknesses, would you give them strength? And you pick up a burden, realizing He's in control. He can change people's hearts and lives. And you get under that burden and look at it from the unseen perspective. It'll help carry you through. As you make decisions in your life, do I buy this? Do I not buy that? Do I go here? Do I not go there? There's a draw of sin and world and temptation comes. Which perspective are we going to face these things in life? 
This principle to me is um, powerful. It's life-changing, has blessed me over and over and over again. There are two perspectives that all of the world either has one or the other. And you and I are so, as humans, not just you and I, so tended to be drawn to the earthly perspective, to the temporal. It just pulls flesh, self, temptation, sin, whatever it is, and it pulls God, would you give us an eternal perspective as we look at our lives? And then all of a sudden, it just changes the way we look at things. Business, money, all of those things, young men. Right? It looks different. Life, our future, what God has for us. I want to have a, the perspective that my father has. Because the perspective he has is an eternal, long-lasting, way beyond this little fleeting breath of time perspective. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father for giving us these little illustrations to help open our eyes to realize there's a different perspective to be had than what the eyes of flesh see. Would you bless my dear brothers and sisters here? Please, Father, where they are struggling, where they are failing, help them to see and chart the course of their life from an eternal perspective. Please, And would you help me, Father? I am determined, Lord. I want to follow you. Help me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to join you on your side. Hallelujah. I'm not stuck with the Philistines, Lord, or the Eliams. Thank you, Father. Bless these dear people here, Father. Help us to be faithful in our generation. Amen.